Today's reading is from the Second Corinthians, chapter 4, verses 5 through 18. Second Corinthians 4, 5 through 18. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Before we uh, do part five of this series and get into today's text, I, I just want to say a couple things. This is a week five in this new space, in this really new and exciting chapter of our church's life. And um, I don't know if you're, if you're like me, I'm still not used to this four o'clock worship time thing. Um, I love on Saturday night that I, I'm going. Oh, I'm, I can sleep in tomorrow. I love that, right? Um, but one of the, I just want to give you a, a couple of encouragements. Um, number one, um, our sister Joy. She was she's she was talking about how this fir her first Sunday when we tried this four o'clock thing. She thought it was just strange. Her whole life she's so used to like getting up ready for worship, and then she felt like she was in this big old pause mode until 4 o'clock. And then they, they realized, you know, that their family could go out and hang out in the morning. But then she asked um, her husband, Damon, let's definitely get back to home for lunch. So even if we go out of town and then we come back in on Sunday morning, which, which is now an option, right? Um, but let's make sure we eat lunch at home, and then let's have a little bit of downtime, and then let's get some focus so that we could go have work. I think that's a, a really great piece of wisdom. So please freely use your time. And um, this it might be more restful for you than ever, especially those of you with little kids. And so please enjoy that. 
But then have a little bit of, um, you might need a little physical rest or just some mental space before you come to hear God's word. And I think that's, that's a good practice at least a couple hours before you come to service on Sunday. So that might be a, like a new habit. Our family hasn't picked up this habit yet and figured it out. Um, but so I don't expect you to necessarily figure it out right away. We haven't figured it out. It's okay. But, um, you know, this is, we're going to be doing this for a while and so let's, let's, drop, we, let's come up with some new habits and learn to take advantage. There's di- going to be different pros and cons as we're in this time. Um, the pastors just went to a conference. So this is the second point I just want to like offer you uh, a little piece of wisdom. The pastors went to a conference, and one of my pastor friends, he knows a guy who's a church planner, and they worship in the late afternoons like we're doing too. It's working for them. Um, but one of the things that he, you know, the, 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 the church planning pastor has told his uh, his congregation, which I thought was really cool, so I like make a mental uh, a note and say it to you know say it to revive our you know our church family, which is this: um, don't think of Sunday as like it's Sunday, it's just my day off, and oh yeah, there's going to be church in there somewhere. Don't think of it that way. Think of Sunday is going to be a, a wonderful day of rest. I'm either maybe going to hang out with my family, or I'm going to go do something and and hang out with some friends or something like that. But then. Think about worship. You know, now that our worship is at you know this uh, four o'clock time, think about ending your day. Like thinking about, I'm going to go look forward to meeting Jesus. I'm going to go look forward to like think about this as sort of like the capstone of a day. Like I'm going to do this other stuff, and then I'm going to look forward to something toward the latter portion of the day. I'm going to see my brothers and sisters. We're going to worship. We're going to hear God's word. We're going to laugh. We're going to cry, and then our hearts are going to be refreshed. So please think about. Think, try to think about Sunday like that. I think that was a great way of thinking about it. All right? Okay. Um, let's get into today's message. We've been um, in this, this huge and complex passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and it talks about how we have this treasure in this body that is a jar of clay. But the treasure is we have eternal life through Jesus. We have Jesus. And he's died this death which can swallow up all our dying. And thus our afflictions, we can have afflictions, but they do not crush us. They don't end us. That's what we've been talking about. And last Sunday, we took a good look at this verse 16. Um, At verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Because of this hope that we have, we don't lose heart, even though our outer self is wasting away. You know, this... uh, this clay part is breaking down, but the inner self is being renewed. Now, today I would like to um, get into the next verse, and we're pretty much going to sit in the whole ver- that verse for today, verse 17, and then we're going to wrap up the series next week pretty much um, by focusing on verse 18. But today, verse 17, for this, so though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Then he says this, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's what I want to talk about today. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So part one, light, momentary affliction. When some of you are thinking, I'm afflicted and it does not feel light, And it is far from momentary. Maybe you're going through something, and it's not light, and it's not momentary. But this is the way the Bible describes it. Light, 
momentary affliction. Part two, there is a preparation for glory. Preparation for glory, that's part two. So can you think this way? That something in your life that's causing you to suffer, it hurts. It is, it is not easy. It is, it's pretty painful. But it's not just painful and that's all there is. There is a preparation for something glorious. Right? Can you think that way? Part two. And part three, a glory beyond comparison. There are a lot of glories. Um, yesterday, my son and I watched the Warriors lose. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was uh, pretty much the worst game Steph Curry has ever had, okay? And uh, we're like, wow, that was, that was a really, really terrible game by him. And he pretty much cost us the game. And, um, and he's had a lot of greater glories. But how about this? A glory beyond all comparison, even compared to the Warriors. I mean, that's like that's a glory that's a lot of us thinking about in this particular time of the year, um, because the, that team is so good. But a glory even beyond that, beyond all comparison. So let's get to part one. Um, a light momentary affliction. Let's just start off by talking about that. Um, I want to ask you this question: What words? Do you trust for truth in your life? So there are words, if you're going to describe, this is what's going on in my life right now. This is my life, how how I would describe it. What words would come to mind to describe your life and would you say that that's true? Maybe sometimes you don't even use words because you just have uh, feelings. (laughs) So you don't actually go around saying what words are in your, but you have feelings and these feelings Describe what's going on in your life right now. And so hopefully your feelings are mostly good, but I know for some of you that is not true, right? Um, What words describe the truth of your life? What feelings describe the truth of your life? And um, let me ask you this question. Do you trust your feelings to tell you the truth of your life? This is the first thing I want to just um, challenge you with. Do you trust your feelings or the words that you think, you get these words in your mind, right now you're saying, here's the truth of my life. My job is going okay, but my marriage is in the tanker. And, because, and really, the reason my marriage is in the tanker is because my wife, she's a bad wife. <laughs> Maybe that's the words you've got in your life. Maybe the words you've got in your life right now is, well, because my job isn't going really, really good, because my boss is a real jerk. <laughs> He's a real jerk. There might be some truth to that, but maybe that, those are the words in your life. Maybe you have some other words in your life, like, my life is bad, and I, I don't think God cares about me. <laughs> I don't think God cares about me. That's why. He's really, really far away. Are these some of the words that come into your mind? Or the feelings, maybe you don't actually say words. You have these feelings, and they're really bad feelings. And that's the first thing I want to say to you. Um, all of us, have to have words. Truth is words, okay? It's more than just words, but it's not less than words. And if you want to live, do you want to live in truth or do you want to live in lies? And if you've, you know, many of you, you've, you've um, been listening to my preaching for quite some time, and you know that I, I like to emphasize that um, we like our lies. <laughs> we like lies. And... Um, 
And some of our lies comes from you. <laughs> they come from me. We really like the lies that we tell ourselves. So that's the first question I want to ask you. And then the other thing I see is really, really common today. It's definitely common among young people, among millennials. But I've just seen it's just across the board. Uh, we trust our feelings. And so the first source that we're looking for, truth, when it comes to what's happening in my life right now is my feelings. <laughs> but what if your feelings are lying? <laughs> hmm? Or what if your feelings are true, but it's a really, really small truth, such that if you make the small truth big, it basically becomes a lie. You get what I'm saying? I mean, um, in our culture, we say, you know, we need to be authentic, and we're not, we're, we shouldn't go around and tell ourselves, uh, you know, be fake with other people. And of course, you shouldn't be fake to yourself. So then what does that mean? That means, well, then let's just be honest about our feelings. And if our feelings say, you know, you're a bad person or our life is bad or, and then this is it. My life will never be good and, and that God is very far away and that he must hate me because this is why my life is so bad. Why to get into the college I was supposed to get into? Why I haven't found the love of my life yet? Why my children are, don't behave? Why, why this bad thing happened to my husband? Something like this. But, you know, everything I just described there, all of you could have something that you could say, yep, right there. But where do you go to process this first thing? It's the very first thing. And, and it seems the most immediate thing is our feelings. And then out of those feelings comes a series of words. And those words we think are authentic. And those authenticity is lies. You ever think about that? What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? This, this is not, I mean, do you really, really, do you actually believe this is not just a book? It's not just religion. These words matter. These words have power. They tell you what is real but versus what's false. What is really, really going on in your life. Do you actually trust that, believe that? It's just this vague idea. It's like, yeah, it's some vague kind of like, doctrine about of Christianity that I'm supposed to believe, but I generally, like, I never really apply it to actually how I operate. Is this how, it, how you are? A lot of us, are, we operate like that. We kind of go, eh, general Christianity over here, but this is what's really going on in my life. And who gets to tell you who, what's really going on in your life? You, you get to tell you what's going on in your life. <laughs> and your feelings get to tell you. So like the real Lord of your life is your feelings. Is that a good source? Is that a good source? And let me um, offer to you that it's a really, really bad source. It's a really, really bad source. Unless your feelings have Jesus as Lord, unless your feelings are informed by Scripture, because the Scripture, these, these exact words, you know, these words are not just words. They are God's words. And when God speaks, they are the truth. They're the truth of your life. Now, here's... This is crazy. I, I mean, this is what the words actually say. Light, doesn't feel light. Momentary, it seems like it's been going on a really long time. <laughs> affliction, okay, that one I get. I agree with that one. Affliction, it's an affliction. It hurts. This is really, really bad. But light momentary, are you kidding? And so we read this, and, um, and I want to ask you right away, can you wrestle? Can you wrestle with that? Not just go into, 
and Oh Sung is going into his thing, blah, 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 blah. And then I'm going to like, this is where I really am. How about where you really are can wrestle with this? And if you don't agree and you don't like it, you know what? The first thing is, come on, God. <laughs> come on, God. Is this real? Is this real? I, I need help. So you're, this is what your words say, and I don't like it. It, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel real. But can you do that? And I want to ask you, would you do that? There has to be a fight for truth. There has to be a fight for it. Because we're born unto the devil. <laughs> we're born unto you know, this thing that Martin Luther calls sin is the incurvatus of the soul. Your soul wants to curve in on itself and constantly be its own savior, constantly give its own, its own words, tell its own truths, which is another way of saying tell ourselves our own lies. But there's this person out there, and he's not far away. He's the God who came down. He's the God who came down and is like, okay, I'll be all good up here. And you guys can just kind of muddle through down there. That's not our God. Our God is God who came into the affliction. And then took all our affliction and said, put it on me. That's the cross. And then I'll be in there with you. That's the truth. But can we actually learn? How to, it's like, gosh, it seems so not real. So first thing I want to offer to you, light momentary. You think this isn't the only place where it says in this Bible. So in Romans chapter 8, Romans 8, Romans 8 is not just a chapter in the Bible, by the way. Romans 8 is one of the biggest chapters of the Bible. You should read all of 1 through 7 so that you can like climax into Romans 8. But if you, if you don't have the patience, just go right to Romans 8. There's just some unbelievably super profound verses. There, should, there are truths in Romans 8 that you should probably just, put, just plaster on your wall and read every day until it gets beaten into your head and sort of kind of starts to live in your heart. But here's one, 8.18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I like that. Who wrote this? Paul. Okay, when we suffer, it's like, you know, I didn't get the job I wanted, and my friend rejected me. Paul, his friends didn't reject him. His whole people stoned him. <laughs> they didn't just say they want to stone him. They actually stoned him, okay? They didn't just say, we hate you. They grabbed him, threw him into a pit, and they threw rocks at him to murder him. That's true. Every time he walked into a new city, his own people, the Jews, whom he loves... He's, he's, so, he's, so, he's so intensely loved the Jews, he would say, if, if I could be condemned to hell and they would all be saved, I would choose. He actually said that. It's in the Bible. It's crazy. So if you love a people that much and they throw rocks at you, isn't that a pretty horrible, horrible piece of suffering? And yet, he can say, I consider that the sufferings of this present time aren't worth comparing. You can't even compare it to what's going to come. That's how he looks at it. And this guy suffered. Oh, my goodness, he suffered. Now, I want to say something, and then I want to offer you, I think, one of the most incredible quotes of the 20th century. Right? 
we live in a time when we, as soon as we suffer, it's the first thing we do is we go into the feeling of it, and then we only know how to process the pain, and then generally we just resent. Can't we just like the pain just like screams at us, and we can't handle it. And so, since God is very far, and we don't know our Bibles, and even if we do know our Bibles, we don't actually listen to the words and let them affect because our, just our feelings and the words that come from the feeling just scream so very, very loudly, especially when we're hurting. But that's not a wise way of handling life. Brothers and sisters, let me tell this to you. Please don't look around at everybody else who's pretending like, don't look at their, their Facebook posts. Everybody like, oh, you know, look, look at this great food I'm eating. Don't do that. Please don't do that. It's fake. <laughs> All right? Because right after they posted that thing, they had a huge fight with their wife, and then the rest of the evening was completely horrible, okay? That, that's the part that's real, <laughs> okay? Their, their kids did something, and then they screamed horrific, satanic words at their kids, and then they said, oh, my gosh, I'm an evil, I'm an evil dad. You know, that's happened to me, by the way, recently, okay? And so um, that's real. But everybody you know, they're all suffering under the curse of sin and under their wickedness and under their righteousness, which is actually wickedness because it's self-righteousness. That's real. We're always falling on our face. And we're incurring, quite frankly, and this is a hard thing to say. There are, there are things, but this is real, okay? There are things that you and I suffer, and we deserve them. There are things you and I suffer, and you don't deserve them. Not you, yourself, but we as a people deserve them. The general suffering because we're wicked people. We like lies. Why do, why do we deserve a good life? <laughs> and yet there's goodness every day, all the time, all the time. There's incredible goodness all the time, which we don't deserve. So if you can't deal with suffering in some some sensibly courageous way that can hack it, you're not going to make it through life. So one of the things I want to offer you is this. Your suffering has to be seen in light of a bigger story. Whatever is afflicting you today, you have to see, is there something beyond it? Is there something that's going to come after it? Is there something that's going to come because of it? And the Bible says there is. So if your suffering is all there is, then that's a really lonely and terrible place, right? But if your pain has meaning, if your pain is going to lead to a glory that is beyond all comparison, something richer, something more worthy, something greater, and there can be an answer for it, then maybe you can handle it. In fact, you can handle it. It has everything to do with how you look at it from your mind and then how the truth the real truth from God in your mind can start sifting and then start to shape your feelings. Your heart feelings can now bow down to Jesus and his truth. I want to, I want to share with you this quote. Um, one of the most important people of the 20th century is, well, this is actually not 20th century, it's 19th century. But the quote became famous in the 20th century. And you should know this quote. So this is from... Um, Brothers Karamazov, Fyodor Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky's Russian, and Brothers Karamazov, by many, many great literary people, is the greatest novel ever written. Wow. <laughs> because it wrestles with this question, suffering, God, truth. 
And uh, he's got this incredible quote. It says something like this. I believe like a child that suffering will be healed and made up for. That all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage. Doesn't that sound like light and momentary? It's like a pitiful mirage or hurt. Like the despicable fabrication of the impotent and infinitely small Euclidean mind of man. Okay, let me, that's a lot of big vocabulary words. He's saying your mind has small little logic. Euclid is the guy who invented geometry, right? It's what, we, what you learn to study, when you study geometry in ninth grade, 10th grade, whenever, whatever grade, that's Euclid. And we have like small little logics. This thing leads to this. It always mis this must always lead to this. And he says, oh, it is like, you know, the fa despicable fabrication of the impotent and infinitely small Euclidean mind of man. That's the Silicon Valley mind. <laughs> That's our mind. That in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, for all the blood that they've shed, the Holocaust, all the abortions, all the ways that you and I have been backstabbed, that it will not make it only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. That's what he believes. That's, what, that's, that's a statement. And only somebody who believes that all that has been wretched and all that is accursed and all the afflictions will be swallowed up by life. Death will be swallowed up by life. That wickedness will be swallowed up by forgiveness. That true life will pulsate out and swallow up all the wickedness and all the suffering and all the horribleness. That you know, you and I, we go through little horribleness. And then next day, a little bit bigger horribleness. And occasionally, and hopefully it's only occasional, but maybe for some of you it doesn't feel very occasional. It's ongoing, a big horribleness. And yet our life, I, I know some of you younger guys, you don't believe this, okay? Your, your life is short. Your life is short. I mean, you guys think I'm old because I'm 47, <laughs> Okay? But this is one of the really cool things about being 47, being old enough to know that light momentary affliction is real. I mean, there are things I went through, I just thought it was the worst possible thing. And then for the next nine months, I was so upset and was down in the pits. And then it passed. And then the sun shined and Jesus' grace shined on me again. It happened. And then there were times I just kind of went through like this dark, cold side with, against God for like two years. And it wasn't because I was so in pain. I just kind of, I kind of like locked the doors from the inside and kept them out. I just wanted to have some money and some comfort and leave me alone. And hopefully my, you know, my football team will win a couple times, right? And my wife will, you know, still have sex with me occasionally or something like that, right? And that's all I wanted in this sad, small, pathetic, despicable Euclidean mind of mind, okay? That's, that's like, I went through periods like that. And then you know what? God broke through that. Jesus reminded me, that's not your life. I'm your life. This isn't what's true about you. I'm what's true about you. 
even though I was terrible. <laughs> I was terrible to him. I was terrible to other people. And yet, he was still good. That's what's real. Okay? This Dostoevsky coat, it's real. I think he's right. And only somebody who knows the gospel could say this. Let's go to part two. Preparation for glory. Okay. So you're going through something painful right now. You know, how much money you have or how healthy you are or like just, you know, what college you're going to go to or what you're going to get in some worldly sense. I'm not saying those things are unimportant, but in the grand scheme of things in eternity, they don't, they don't matter, okay? Okay? When you and I get to heaven from a long... This is one of the few things I, that kind of get me through. When I'm going through something bad, you know, when the first thing I say, okay, what's the worst case scenario? I think about worst case scenario, and then I go, okay, in five years from now, I'm not even going to remember this. In eternity, this will be nothing. This is the truth, Susan. This is the worst case scenario, and it's pretty bad. <laughs> and then, of course, if I get less than worst case scenario, I'm like, gosh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> and then, but then I always keep remembering this worst case scenario in five years, I won't even remember, and eternity will be nothing because I'll just have joy unending. Can you remember that? But here's the thing that I want to teach you here. Everybody has to have some staying power. You want to make it and have a good, meaningful, and beautiful life, you have to have some courage. You have to have some, some guts, persistence, you have to have some endurance and patience. And you know what that, you have? A, you have to have big, a big, huge, you just, this should just be a, a big piece of your meal every day, hope. Hope is the thing that you don't have yet, but it's really, really good, and it's coming. That's hope. Um, have you guys ever watched the movie Shawshank Redemption? You ever seen the movie Shawshank Redemption? So, you know, uh, my, uh, like uh, Masick and Jennifer is hanging out with uh, Elizabeth after they, 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 I don't know why, they get up really early to go sh hiking on s Saturday mornings. And then they came back to my house and they started to watch Shawshank Redemption. You know, Shawshank Redemption is probably, if it's not the very best movie of the 1990s, it's up there. And there's this line in there where, so this guy gets a life sentence for, for murdering his wife, but he didn't actually do it. I mean, he didn't do it. How do you like that? He didn't actually murder his wife, but he got a life sentence. That's a pretty bad piece of affliction, you know, for the rest of your life. <laughs> and he turns to another guy who has a life sentence, and he says, you know this? He goes like, they're, they're, they're debating. He's a guy who becomes his friend. His name is Red, played by Morgan Freeman. And he says, what are you talking about? He goes, I'm talking about hope. And the Morgan Freeman goes, hope? No, don't be talking about that. That's a dangerous thing. Because you know what he wants? He wants to say, I can't want something bigger. I'm just going to just deal with how like totally low and crappy it is inside this prison. And then I'm going to just get little, little joys inside this prison. That's all, that's all we can do. Get it? So stop hoping. Hope that's dangerous. But that's not the way he operates. He can change the prison and he can change his life because this affliction has a glory coming to it. That's hope. Okay, let me say a couple more things about preparation for glory. So first, every day, swallow a big piece of hope. The Bible gives you the biggest. 
I don't care where you are in your life right now, as low as it can be, if you have Jesus, it is promised to you. It is your right. It is absolutely your right. You cannot lose this, right? Goodness is coming. It may not come tomorrow or maybe exactly the one you want. It's coming. It's coming. Hope. And then until then, persevere and have some courage and hang on, please. Brothers and sisters, hang on. Now, I want to say a couple more things before I go to the close of my message. Most of us are not very good at this. And you know, you know why? Because our heart is about, it's about this big. <laughs> it's like this big. Our heart is like a, some of you have a heart that's about maybe this big. And some of your heart, that your, your cup is about a shot glass or even a thimble. And so if your heart is so small and good things can only go into something so small, how can you live for it? And so you know what has to happen? Your heart has to be trained to get bigger. It has to, something inside of you, so like you know, your muscle, you're like, okay, you know, like, you know, okay, I, you know, it's such a big muscle, right? So that's why when we have something really heavy to lift, everybody, let's get Susan. <laughs> that's not what you say, right? <laughs> let's, you don't get Susan. Why? Because, because this isn't really that big. But do you know that your heart is, is a function of that? But we, we, it's invisible. But all of you have a, have a size of, of what you can contain. Your heart is the center of your being, and your heart can receive a certain amount of glory, something, something worthy and big. And if it's small, you can't receive very much. God goes, I'm going to give you a gift. What if God said, hey, tomorrow I'll give you all the money that you can put into a container. Just, just okay, let's just, just let's have a little the, the theoretical conversation here. Jesus shows up. Hey, Justin, bring me a container. I'll put all the money that I can into that container. Yeah, you're going to go and find something this big, right? Come on. Of course not. <laughs> of course not. You're going to find the biggest, craziest thing you can. Like, dragging this, like, big hole. Like, here it is. Jesus, put it in there. That's what you're going to do. But your heart is like that. And if your heart is small, you know what it has to be? It has to be broken. Your heart has to be broken because it's too small. Your God is too small. His goodness to you is too small. Your belief in his goodness is too small. You're, so hence, you're always acting like red. Let me just get a couple little nice things inside my prison. Don't go around talking about hope, please. Come on, stop that. All right? So then, Jesus loves you. And he looks at you and going like, man, that is so pathetic. That's terrible. I want to give him everything. But he can't even hold anything. It's like he shows up and says, can I get a six-pack of beer, please? I mean, like, it's, it's like that. That's like the, the kind of things we want from God. Can I get like $10,000 more in my job next year, please? Can I get my kids to just behave? Just behave a little bit. I mean, those are really, really, those are the things we want. So then you know what God has to do? He's like saying, your heart is pretty small. And because I love you, because I love you, we'll have to break that heart. We'll have to break it. And then rebuild it and make it bigger. 
And when your heart breaks, it hurts. <laughs> it hurts. But then when he heals it, your heart will get bigger. And then he can put more glory into it. And if you want that to happen, it needs some training. Have you guys ever watched the movie Karate Kid? And they're eight, okay, you know, I mean, all you young guys are like, Karate, it's so old, you know. First, it's used a 1990s movie restaurant, so let's go, 19, let's go 1980s. If you've never watched Karate Kid, you should. Okay, you should. Mm-hmm. But let me, um, I've talked about it in a different illustration before, but let me talk about it this way. So the story's about a kid, his parents are divorced. He goes from New Jersey to California, Southern California. He's very uncool. There's rich, pretty kids at his school, and he's like a dumpy Italian kid from Jersey, you know? And then what happens? Um, he starts to hit it off with, like, the prettiest girl in school, and then her boyfriend and his friends, they're all really good at karate, and they basically kick his butt and just beat him up really bad. And then he befriends this guy who's uh, this, this old Japanese guy, this small little old Japanese guy. He looks like a handyman at the, at the apartment that they live in, but it turns out he's like some super karate expert. <laughs> and then he goes, okay, show up tomorrow early. I'll teach you karate. And so his name is Daniel LaRusso. Mr. Miyagi goes, all right, first lesson. He goes, you're going to learn wax on and wax off. You guys watch this movie? I didn't watch what you're talking about. So he goes, here's what's going to happen. He goes, here's how you wax the car. You put wax on like this. And then like this. Breathe like this. You know, always, always like this. And then he goes, all right, do it. And then there's like six cars. And he goes, what? And, and, and then he has to do this. He does this. And he gets like really upset and he's really angry because he's, he's like miserable. It takes him like all day to do this. And then the next time he shows up, next karate lesson, he's like, all right, I'm going to have you scrub, scrub the floor. This way, we're going to do it this way now. That's what he does. And so he's miserable. He feels this is a piece of suffering and affliction. And then he finally just rebels. He rebels against his master, Mr. Miyagi. And then Mr. Miyagi basically points out to him, you've been learning karate this whole time because you have to learn this defense move. Literally, you have to do this a thousand times. If you don't do this a thousand times, you're going to get your butt kicked. Boom. You got to do this. If you can't do this, like, boom, you're going to get your butt kicked. And then he shows it to him. And all this time, he didn't realize the master is teaching him something. And it hurts. Now, this is just a movie. And it's an earthly movie of an earthly lesson. But your father in heaven, if this is true, in the movie... Mr. Miyagi basically becomes his father. If a little Japanese father teaching karate can teach his Italian son something through affliction and there's a glory on the other side, you don't think your father in heaven can do something for you? That through the affliction, not apart from it, in it, through it, the affliction is going to turn something inside of you where there's a glory on the other side. Can you believe that? Can you trust that? Because that's really what it boils down to. Because the movie in the middle could have died. <laughs> the, the movie could have failed because Daniel LaRusso basically, because you know, if he was a 21st century kid, he would have been like, F you, Mr. Miyagi, I'm not coming back because you're a loser. You're just making me a slave and you don't care about me. You're just losing because I just feel it. 
That's what he would have said. And then the movie would have been over. And then, he would have, then the next day, the, the, the rich kids would have kicked his butt over again, and then he would have never gotten the girl. That'd be it. No glory. No glory. But then, but actually, he, he actually kind of grows a, a little bit of wisdom and goes, my goodness, all this crazy stuff that I have to do on the other end, maybe there's a glory. And I have to undergo this affliction. And maybe Mr. Miyagi knows something. And he's given me something good. Hmm? So maybe, maybe, maybe. How about definitely, definitely? Definitely. Not maybe. Absolutely. Absolutely. Your father, in the midst of whatever you're being afflicted today, there's something over there on the other side. Let me close. A glory beyond comparison. Um, if there was no cross in the middle of our faith, I would not believe in Jesus. Because it would be phony. Real life is like this. There's pain in it. How do you deal with it? How can you, how can you forgive that person who betrayed you? That was really, really bad. That was so bad. I don't even know how to deal with that. How can you, um, you know, how can you get past the fact that all these people, they let me down? How about, even worse, I let myself down. And so you're miserable because you hate yourself because you let yourself down, but now the person to blame is you. How about that one? That's real. It's like everybody. If you, you haven't experienced that yet? If you haven't experienced that one yet, just, just wait a little bit, okay? It, it, it's coming. It's, that's a beautiful experience, all right? When you, when you have these moments where you hate yourself because you let yourself down. But the God of the cross, he saved us through affliction. Isn't that incredible? The cross shows us is not only the pathway that he, his afflictions swallow up our afflictions, he shows us how to live, how to be human, how to be human like God. He actually showed us how to do it. And this now, this is what I want you to understand. Jesus' cross is something that happened in history, right? Yes, but Jesus' cross is something happening in your life right now. It's your cross. It's something that's terrible for you. It's painful for you. And then he'll say, you know what? I picked up a bigger cross for you. You could pick up this cross and I'll help you. I'll help you. It's yours to pick up. You pick it up. And when you can't, it's okay. I'll forgive you and I'll pick it up with you. And just like I conquered affliction, curse, rejection, wickedness, shame, death, ugliness, everything, you will too with me. That's the promise of the gospel. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? It's so important that you go through your affliction with Jesus 
with his cross, his cross looming over yours. I'll close with an illustration. Um, if you've been with me a year, you probably haven't heard this illustration. If you've been with me for like six years, you have heard this illustration. So, you know, like pastors have to reuse their illustrations at least once every five or six years, okay? When it's relevant. This one's, this one's really relevant. Ever heard of a guy named Jim Elliott? For, the young, for your younger brothers and sisters, you, you may have never heard of Jim Elliott. If you're a little older, you might have heard of him. Jim Elliott was a young man who really loved Jesus and he sensed a calling to go to South America. And back then they called them the Aka Indians, but then when they actually met them, they called themselves the Horani or something like that. That's in their language, they call themselves Horani, which means something like fierce people. And that's a good description. So after all his seminary training, he and four other brothers said, these people are remote in the jungle. They're fierce people. They don't know Jesus. Let's go. They landed, they were captured by these people, they were murdered by these people. That's how long their ministry lasted, not very long. Murdered by these people. Imagine if you were married to one of those men, if you were their father, their mother, their brother, their sister. That is an unbelievable piece of affliction. And they could say, God, you're bad. You're bad. How could you have possibly have let that one happen? So they loved you. They go off to South American jungle and they just squish and murder just like that. You must be a bad guy. Right? It just feels so bad. Everything about it was bad. How can anything good, glory, light, momentary, wasn't light, and, and no gym, Elizabeth Elliot, his wife, they were newlyweds. You know how long they were married? Oh, my goodness. She lost her newlywed husband. Like that, boom. But that's not what the way they reacted. They applied this verse. The wives and their brothers and sisters, they went back to those Indians and built the relationship and said, um, you murdered our brother my husband. But it's so important that you meet our Jesus. We came to forgive you and give you Jesus. And they were so blown away by that. The whole tribe got saved. <laughs> if you, There's this movie called uh, Beyond the Gates of Splendor and there's this picture <laughs> that comes up toward the, the end of the movie where um, this woman is standing next to the man who literally murdered her husband. And they're the closest of friends. A glory beyond all comparison. And when those five men who gave their life, you know, these Huarani people, they're going to have generations upon generations upon generations upon generations, right? And then when they get to heaven, don't you think Jim Elliott and his four friends and their wives are going to receive a mountain of love from the thousands, I don't know, maybe millions of people who are salvation came into their lives that way. Light, momentary suffering. 
affliction, which prepared them for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That could be your life. That is your life. Would you please believe that? That's the gospel. That's our God. He wants to break your heart and turn and, and, then, and then and just put unbelievable glory into it. And then forever and forever when you're with him, he's going to be like, oh, so you wanted a little bit more money in like 2020. I was like saying that, that was kind of a lame gift, so I, I gave you something better. I gave you this. You wanted a little more money in 2020. You wanted a better college in 2021. You know, you wanted better looks or something. But I decided to say no and give you this. Can you believe that? Would you believe that? Let's pray. Father, we're going to go to your table to receive your food, to receive your bread, to have your, the blood of your son Jesus wash away our prisons, our pathetically small asks and expectations which flow out of our unbelieving Euclidean minds. And instead, would you break our hearts and break the littleness of our minds. Help us see bigger things. Have bigger hope. More courage. More staying power. Greater perseverance. So you could fill our hearts with infinite glory. Infinite glory. That will be poured out forevermore. Give us repentance. Give us humility. Give us patience. Gives everything we need so we could live in the light of the hope which can conquer all afflictions. In Jesus' name.